0: You're listening to the yoga teacher resource podcast, knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on our coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast. And I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. You can pause and do that right now so you don't forget. And when you get back, we'll jump right into today's call. Just describe a little bit for the listeners your background and how you got to be where you are now and what are, and
1: what the two things are that you're really struggling with. So I, I will try and be as concise as possible here. Uh, that's one of my goals. But I came to yoga. I was training to run a marathon and my coach said, you need to do yoga as your cross training. And I really was one of those people that thought, I don't need to touch my toes. I'm okay. But I did take his advice and I went and I started doing power yoga and it, it kicked my rear end and I was in love from day one. Shortly after, um, my heart stopped in one of my runs during one of my runs. And so I went from training full time to laying on the couch, not being able to do anything. Um, but I could do yoga. And so that's where the benefits of the of the pranayama, of the meditation, of the whole aspect of yoga really came into my life. And I had heart surgery. I have an ICD implanted. And at that point, I felt like I needed to be able to do more for myself so that I could do yoga at home and not just at a studio. And so I went through my teacher training then. I went through my teacher training, and I remember telling my my teacher for the YTT saying, I don't, I don't want to teach. I just want to do this for me. And she said, well, the process is the same. So welcome. And halfway through teacher training, I started teaching and I haven't looked back. So that was about four years ago. I went on, I got my 500 hour. I got my yoga therapy and a couple of their children's prenatal. I, I wanted, I'm a studier. I'm a grower. I wanted to do it all. And so I opened a studio. Funny enough, I graduated in October and I opened a studio in February. So I did not wait. I did. I've done a lot of things backwards, but I'm I'm glad uh, things happened the way that they did. And now we are at a point where the studio is going from a one room studio to looking to expand into several rooms, more privates, um, and some other different different things locally. And so I'm finding myself in a place where I wanted to take a step back from active teaching so that I can do a little bit more of the managerial things and set things out right from the beginning, something I didn't do at the very beginning. Um, but I'm finding that the the community that I have built, they want more of me. And I'm hearing a little few groans of, you're no longer on the schedule. We come here for you. Um, Part of me wants to educate people so that they don't need me, so that they're able to be empowered and able to do for themselves. But part of me also sees the benefit of having a teacher, having somebody that you can count on and who can help grow you. So that's my first back and forth of how do I balance the two? And then my second one is more on the business end of things. I have had from day one, it's written on my board in my office. My goal is to create a self-sustaining studio so that I can do more ministry, so that I can do more work in the community. And so I, because I am so clear in that goal for me, I guess I assume that other people get it. And so I have found that I, that isn't always the case. I need to find a better way to make that goal and that vision clear to the people that come to the studio or that are affected by the studio in any way. Okay. So
0: what I'm hearing is that you your two problems are actually really related. You want to have the freedom to step away from the studio because you have other things that you feel called to work on in the future. But even the baby steps that you're taking now, you're getting pushback from the students because they come to the studio for you. It's the studio has been thriving because of the relationships that you've built. Is that, am I, am I understanding this correctly? Correct. I think part of the challenge is this fundamental, it's not like a law of the universe, but it seems to be the way that businesses work, especially a heart-centered business like this, is that people come for a relationship and that you have managed to do something that a lot of people struggle with, which is to create these relationships where people feel supported and excited to practice with you in a way. It's a really wonderful problem to have. (laughs) You have these beautiful relationships and really what you're asking is how can I scale myself so that I don't have to be having in-person interactions with all of these people all the time, which I don't have time for. There's more demand on you than what you're capable of giving, right? You've reached that point where more people want from you than you have the bandwidth to share with integrity, to share and take care of yourself and meet your own needs and further your own other goals. So there's two angles that I see. One is okay. Meeting their needs through a medium that is more scalable And we can talk about the practicalities of that in a moment. And the other one is making hard choices, right? The other one (laughs) is (laughs) letting go of one dream to meet another if that's what needs to happen. Sometimes what we imagine is possible isn't reality. So now I do believe it is possible to have a yoga studio that thrives where you don't have to be there all the time. Give me a little bit more picture of what you mean by self-sustaining. And I mean, does it mean that you own it, but you never show up, you're never there and, or you're only there one day a week or what exactly is the vision for you?
1: I want to be fully present this isn't about me creating a studio that can run without me yes it would be able to but I still want to be present I am currently um, about to start the second cycle of YTT I'm a lead trainer for a YTT that I created with the goal that there's a lot of a lot of need I teach children with special needs I teach the veteran population I teach trauma Um, I teach the elderly population there's only one of me And so many of those needs so my goal even with the YTT was to empower other people to create other students to help other teachers to be able to rise up and then meet those needs because if there's 10 of us that can teach children who are differently abled then we can reach more of them. So when I say a self-sustaining studio is so that um, financially, I don't have to worry about it because all of those programs that we wanna bring into the community are going to be funded. You say that
0: there's a disconnect between your vision for a self-sustaining studio and what your students or the people who come to the studio
1: understand. So tell me more about that disconnect. Our students who are paid students, they don't always know that that price that they're paying funds the free programs. Okay. Or which those free programs are, or that we're working in the schools creating programs with them, or that we're working with addiction and recovery in the community creating those programs. And I think that in our pricing is is very very reasonable. We're in a more of a rural area, um, and compared to Savannah, for example, which is really close to us, our pricing is quite, quite a nice price point, yet I get a little bit of pushback because it's high compared to the gym. So for us to be able to say, listen, we understand what this pricing structure is, but this is what all you get with it. It's more than just paying for your yoga. This is supporting your community, the community that you live with, that you shop with, that you walk around with.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you. Now I feel like I I understand what you're talking about. This is a good time to shift into a little bit more of the practicalities of how to scale yourself and how to get your message across more effectively. What is your current strategy with your email list? How big is it? How often do you send things out? What, What are you sending out?
1: Well, I just got done listening to your podcast on that. <laughs> um, I'm not doing so well. <laughs> we have um, probably about 500 in, on the email list, and we do we send a newsletter every month, <laughs> and that's about it. We're not utilizing
0: that um, to the best. This is a, a place of opportunity for you. Definitely growing the email list, and then starting to think about what are the different buckets of people on this list you have people who have dropped in once and have never come back you have people who come on a regular basis but not super frequently and you have your diehards this is just a beginning of starting to think about how to how to categorize your list out and how you might email them differently for example with people When they show up the first time, you want to have a sequence that you send out to them, inviting them back, guiding them through your vision of what you're about there right then and there. The moment that they reach out to you, whether they reach out to you from taking a class and that's how they get on the list, or eventually I'd love to see you have other ways of inviting community members onto your email list. And once you first make contact with that person, that's the opportunity to start educating them on your vision. So over time you can build, and this is, you know, this is not something to get overwhelmed by and to try to tackle all at once, but you can over time build a a sequence that develops your story that takes your students and your customers on a journey from like just being kind of barely aware of who you are and what you do to at some point making a decision of this is a community I want to be a part of and taking some kind of action to increase their participation or perhaps unsubscribing because they came to one class because they were in town visiting family and they don't think they'll ever come back to invite eventually even a choice of, yes, I'm going to participate more. And maybe I'm going to participate in this more moderate sense, or I'm going to like really get fully involved. Or you know what, that was a nice class. And this isn't like, I'm not the right person to be continuing to send emails to. Then with the people that you already have, or the community members that are already more involved, you kind of need to get them caught up on the same thing. So one of the nice things about creating content in this way, whether you're creating, we'll talk about videos a little bit later, but whether you're creating videos or emails or blog posts or whatever it is that you create there, it can be a lot of work up front. Don't think about this as something that, Oh my God, this is so much work. It's not worth it. Every time you do a little bit of work, you want to be thinking about how to repurpose that work. And plus every time you share your story, you get better at sharing it or whether you've created this content and you actually get to reuse that exact video, or whether it's a piece of your practice of becoming excellent at sharing your story. Either way, it's not just for that one moment. There's always a bigger purpose to that, and that can help. I'm just releasing right now, I'm in the middle of releasing this series of videos. And have you you seen them, Angel? I know, they're marked. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, it was a lot of work. And so it would be very easy for me to say, because I'm not very comfortable with video yet, this is kind of out of my comfort zone. So it'd be easy for me to say, oh, I'm done doing videos. This was just way more work than, you know, it was worth. But if I thought about it that way, then I would, I would not, like you, I'm a lifelong learner. I always want to keep improving and learning. And so I have to remind myself, okay, well, that was part of the investment of learning how to do this
1: and that is something that i am finding when i jumped into the business side of things i was both feet in and i didn't take the time to lay out the foundation and so now i am going back and taking the time to set things up right so that they can carry on properly for example our social media i didn't even own an instagram account until my studio manager was like girl you need one So, but working through her or with her, we've been able to create a system where we've got the picture set up. I can set one or two days a month where I go and I create all the content and then it's set to release. There's a post every day, but I'm not having to take the time every day to get it all done. Yeah. So I'm trying to automate and delegate and remove as much as I can so that what we do put out there is quality good. That's
0: great. Another question I have for you is, are you doing videos at all?
1: I am. So I did a series of short uh, pranayama practices, short asana practices targeted to specific things. I wrote my own meditations and did some videos on that. And that was something that was put on hold when the studio kind of bloomed. And then it was too much for me to handle all of it. So that's one of the things that I'm taking a step back and going back to creation before, because I'd rather take the time now so that it can be sustainable later, as opposed to just like dripping things here and there. There's no consistency in that
0: so you're creating practice videos right now, which is awesome. And I really support you in doing that because that is one way to, to scale yourself, let them know when that happens. What I'm doing with this time right now is I'm creating videos so that you can practice with me at home. So that's one message. I don't know if you've been doing that, but that's one thing that I would definitely think about every time that you get that, requests of like oh I miss you in the studio I wish you were teaching let them know that you're doing that with this time because that will help plants and seeds for in the when you're ready to release them you're going to have a waiting group of people who are know about it and are waiting for it and I think it will also help to soothe any feelings of hurt or abandonment that your students might be feeling to know like oh well there's a reason for this and she's actually creating
1: something for me that's going to be helpful to me. I took your advice and I took a couple of the girls, several of the girls out to coffee and I asked, you know, and I explained myself to them as to why I was on sabbatical, if you want to call it that. And that's, that's where my awareness of, Hey, my goals are not being transferred because even though they were the fanatics, right? The people that are there in the studio all day or every week, I should say, they didn't even know a lot of the things that were happening behind closed doors. So I did get a lot of good information from them. It was helpful. And so that leads me to the
0: other type of video that I think you could do. These practice videos are great and they serve this one purpose, but the other purpose is sharing your message in a way that people are more likely to really receive it. And that is through video on a consistent basis. The great thing about video is it's the next best thing to being in person with you because they can see your face and your eyes and they can hear your voice. And at the same time, you can reach thousands of people with your videos and you can reach people multiple times with your videos. So it's a way of scaling yourself and, and getting your message out there because Even though when we have a message that we feel super strongly about, we say it once and we think, well, that should be enough, right? I told that person once and we hear ourselves repeating it over and over and over to so many people. We feel like, God, people must be sick of hearing me say this by now. But the truth is that so many times you might be saying something and people just have something else going on and they're just, it's not really landing for them and people need repetition. So they need to hear the same message over and over and over, maybe slightly different angles, slightly different ways. You really can't overdo it. in at this stage of our culture where we're bombarded with messages all the time, the ones that get through tend to be the ones that are repeated. I agree with that. (laughs) When you have a clearer strategy for your email list, one of the things that you can send out is practice videos Or snippets of practice videos and then also message videos that are just a way of staying connected and coming into the earbuds and the living rooms (laughs) and the offices of the people who are interested in hearing what you have to say on a regular basis.
1: Would you say weekly would be a consistent or is monthly? I think
0: what's most important is the ability to keep it up. So yes, most people recommend that weekly is ideal as far as getting an email or having some kind of communication. But... Don't put yourself in the position where you all of a sudden feel like that's your whole job and that you can't make progress in any other area of your job because you're so busy keeping this piece up. Ideally, put out something weekly that's less polished and shorter (laughs) versus something monthly that's more polished and longer. If weekly is not realistic, by all means, do it monthly, at least as a start. If you do it monthly for 12 months, chances are that you will have gotten good enough that you can maybe bump it up to every other week. You do that for another six months, you probably have gotten good enough that you could bump it up to weekly. Of course, nobody wants to wait two years (laughs) to build the connection and rapport with their audience. But this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is just, we have to be committed. We have to be in it for the long haul and sustainably, sustainably. Because if we go two feet in, jumping into the pool, and then we realize that we're not getting the response that we wanted, that that we're burning ourselves out. This is such a common story for yoga teachers. It's a lot harder to shift gears and pull back from overdoing because you're burnt out, because you've lost the spark of inspiration versus just starting a little slower, being willing to
1: be a little bit more patient. I have to agree with that. I think I that was me. The burned out was what happened at the beginning. When I first opened the studio, I was the only teacher. There were 10, 12 classes And I was running the studio, I was the accountant, the manager, the social media, I did it all. And learning to count on other people, to bring other people on board, and then to now step back, get it done right from the beginning, even if it takes a little bit longer. It'll, Like you said, for me, the word is consistency. Um, I think you use sustainability.
0: Yeah, well, they're both really important. I think that consistency can be sustainable, but it can also lead to burnout when it's overcommitted. So how are you feeling right now about these two areas of your challenge and your question? Is there anything that's not clear? Is there
1: anything that you wanna dive into more deeply? I think things are clear. (laughs) I think I would like to talk a little bit more about the email list. So if I heard you correctly, I'm going to talk to my people and let them know, listen, the reason why I'm stepping back when they do ask is so that I can serve you better in the future. So be patient with me. And this is what's coming down the pipeline, creating that kind of a buzz around what is coming. I will widen the videos to more than just practice, but also use them as an avenue to share my message, which I think it's brilliant. (laughs) And then using the email list, I think that is where I I could use a little bit more guidance. Right now, we collect the emails through the people that do come to the studio, and then there is a sign-up form on our website. You mentioned other ways in which we can collect uh, that email. What would some of those be? You mentioned
0: that you have partnerships with other nonprofits or other organizations. So one way would be to find some way to tap into their audience because of the overlap in interest there. And usually you want to think about what is in it for the person signing up. So who do I really want to sign up? Why should somebody, is it a donor to this organization? Is it somebody receiving benefits from this organization? Who is it that you actually want on your email list? Is it people who already practice yoga? Is it people who have never practiced but are really interested? Or is it people who want to help serve the same populations that you want to help serve? So there's a lot that goes behind creating a female strategy. And I think that the very beginning starts with who is it that you want to reach? And then from there, you need to find out, usually by asking them or people who are part of that group, what service you can provide them, what value you can provide them so that you can be emailing
1: them on a regular basis,
0: not just something that they don't care about because they'll just unsubscribe.
1: (laughs) Right. So if I'm understanding that correctly, and this is very exciting to me, you can tell because I start talking fast. So if Let's say I'm working with the addiction and recovery community and they are more interested in things like pranayama meditation or um, yoga for recovery. I would segment those popular population and only send them the emails that relate to, hey, we're having recovery at the park. Things like that. Yes, exactly. Beautiful.
0: And... Ideally, you would let people segment themselves. So instead of assuming that a person only wants um, pranayama and meditation, you know, what you might find is that, okay, 80% of the people in addiction and recovery want the pranayama and meditation, but there's another 20% who really want the asana also, or whatever, whatever the buckets are, you should be able to offer them choices and how to do that will depend on your email service provider. Uh, who are you using currently? MailChimp. Okay. So MailChimp only lets you do this when they sign up. At least this was the case back in March. So don't quote me on it because I haven't had, a I haven't tried to look into this since March, but Back in March, when I looked into it, the only way to segment people that way was through a sign-up form. And so, at the sign-up form, they can let you know, "Yes, I want this is the type of content I want." You can give them a few options. The only thing about that is that people grow and evolve, <laughs> and that doesn't do anything for the people that are already on your list as far as segmenting them. So that is the major reason that I switched over to ConvertKit is because I just by clicking a link. People can tag themselves in any new idea that I come up with. I can say, Oh, now I want to know who has blonde hair. Not that I would, but, <laughs> right. you know, and I, I could send out an email that said, Hey, if you have blonde hair, click this link. Now, I'm not going to get everybody with blonde hair to click that link, but.
1: It gives people an opportunity to opt in. I did listen to that podcast and I had made some notes on it. So I'll have to go back through, through those.
0: So the idea in general though, is yes, absolutely. Just like you said, let people opt into the type of content they want and primarily send them the content they want. There may be some things that you send to the entire list, some things that you decide that even though this is not exactly what they've opted into, that it's an opportunity for them that is still relevant. It's not like, you know, you're not sending something that's polar opposite of what
1: they opted in. So that would lead me to the next question. Is this essentially a lead magnet or could I also create a lead magnet to where I would send them a 20 minute, five seated poses for relaxation, a video I've already created. I could say, if you want to sign up for this, give me your email and I'll send it to you. Great
0: question. The lead magnet is the very first little gift. That's the incentive. Once you have the lead magnet, then the job is building the relationship. So there's a sequence of emails that you can send out after they've signed up for the lead magnet that starts to build the the relationship. Some people call that a nurture sequence. I'm sure that there's other terms for it also. I think of it as building the relationship. And then ongoing, even after that relationship is built, and, and, you know, if you're being really strategic, and this might take some time to develop, but if you're being really strategic, that sequence leads them to something that they can purchase or some action that they can take. In fact, you, you would ideally be, offering the micro actions that they can take along the way like take this survey click here to read this article so what you're doing is you are learning who in your list is interested enough to actually click right not everybody will and one thing that mailchimp does is they rate subscribers So another thing you can do is send out emails that are only to the people who are most active and engaged on your list. I'll
1: have to figure that one out.
0: (laughs) On MailChimp, it's the stars. Okay, so you got the lead magnet. You have the relationship building sequence where you're training them or inviting them to take small micro actions along the way. And then ideally, there's some kind of invitation at the end of that nurture sequence so that they have the opportunity to deepen the relationship, whether it's signing up for a membership at the studio or volunteering with your organization, whatever it is. And then after that, you want to be staying in touch with and continuing to um, maintain the relationship, let's say.
1: So we would go through the lead magnet sequence and then they would essentially be recycled into the weekly emails. Right. But
0: depending on what your buckets are, it, It might not, they might not be getting weekly emails depending on who they are, why they signed up. Another thing that I work on with my clients is creating basic categories of different content that they cycle through. So uh, content pillars, we could say. So that rather than every month thinking like, oh my God, what? what am I going to send out this month that you know that every month there's one pranayama video, one asana video. There's one
1: about a nonprofit that you're working with. That's exactly how I broke it down. I said week one, it would be a practice video. Week two, it would be a message video. Week three, it would be upcoming events. And then I had week four open. So pranayama sounds good to me.
0: Exactly. So then what you do is... You lay it out for, I would lay out at least three months worth. So 12 emails and plan the content out and write in dates in your calendar of when you're going to create that content. Give yourself way more time than you think you need, especially at first and make sure that you're at least six weeks ahead so that you're never feeling scrambled. And you're, you know, if you, some, something happens, a hurricane hits, You just like, oh, no problem. Now I'm only five weeks behind. No big deal, right?
1: That sounds really actionable for me.
0: Sweet. And, you know, as far as targeting your newsletter subscribers, I don't think MailChimp is robust enough for a studio, especially a studio with so many different ideas and vision. Like, you have a big vision. I do.
1: And you teach a lot of different populations, it's not just one. So, I've been. I've been kind of struggling with this idea of niche, and I do believe that I have one. It's therapeutics. I approach everything from a therapeutic perspective. Our mission and vision supports that, but within therapeutics, there's so many areas. We do children. We do adults. We do elderly. We do teenagers. We we do the whole spectrum, and so that creates a little bit of quite a large uh, niche, So what can we do with that? Because I do feel like
0: therapeutics, this is it. Each one of those niches needs to be treated differently. So it's okay to have more than one niche. And it's almost inevitable with a yoga studio, with a space like that. But I think it's good to have a recognition and a realization that speaking, you you can't speak to everyone at the same time. I would recommend focusing on one at a time and and thinking, okay, for the next six months, I'm really going to focus on the veterans. Okay, for the next six months, I'm going to really work out my strategy for the children. Not that you completely drop everything else, but that you recognize that it's a long-term strategy, you're in this for the long haul, and that you're going to do a better job for everybody by being a little bit more focused in the short run. Yes. What a huge service that you're bringing to your community. What an incredible vision that you have. And the only way to really fill all those buckets up is to do it one at a time and get help. Agreed. And I thank you. I appreciate that. So how are you feeling right now as far as the strategy for the email list? Does that, are you feeling more confident with it? Do you have any remaining questions?
1: I feel really good about it I am encouraged I'm I'm a person of action so I have my list of things and I do use a calendar if it's not on my calendar it's not getting done so I I love it the method is called get it done uh, get things done by David Allen and I, I've been using that method for a couple of years now and it's fantastic so I have actions that I can put into my list and I'm excited
0: Sweet. That is awesome. Angel, I hope that you will keep us updated. Maybe you can come back sometime and do a where, where are they now sort of episode. I think that would be fun.
1: That would be so fun.
0: Thank you so much for being willing to record this session, because I know that people are going to be inspired by what you're doing. And I know that they're also going to learn from what we talked about. So I really, really appreciate
1: that. I'm, I'm so thankful that you gave me the opportunity. I learned a lot.
0: Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are. And that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And thank you also to each of you who listen all the way to the end And most especially to those of you who leave reviews and who reach out to me to let me know that the podcast has impacted you and helped you. I'm grateful to get to support you and your teaching through the podcast, through workshops, trainings, and one-on-one strategy sessions. If you'd like to find out more about working with me one-on-one, you can do that at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. Until next week, just a friendly reminder to prioritize your personal practice and whatever you do, whatever works for you for self-care so that you have the resources to be able to help others and be there for others. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.